Welcome to Beneath Your Beautiful, where guests share stories of adversity and perseverance, which inspire, encourage, and challenge us. We embrace these tough conversations, intimately exploring our loves, fears, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness. I'm Marianne Ruddis, and I am currently the Executive Director of Elevations, a Children's Therapy Resource Foundation. We're a nonprofit, and we provide funding for children with special needs to get therapy services. So we help families fill in the gaps to pay for physical, speech, occupational, and anything by a licensed therapist, as well as home therapy equipment. Parents were having to choose between getting their child what they needed and putting food on the table. That's how the organization got started. And when I learned about elevations, it was very close to my heart. I've had two children that have had extensive medical issues, and I know how much the kindness of strangers can change your life. I had two children that had cancer, and both of them have passed away. So I'm also a certified grief educator. I went through David Kessler's program so that I could take what happened in my life and be able to expand that out and and possibly touch other lives. I understand uniquely that grieving is an individual process, but I also believe that we can't do it alone. My daughter, Nikki, was diagnosed with cancer when she was 16 months old. She went through two years of treatment And then she was considered cured. I was pregnant with my second child at the time. And my third child, Matthew, was born just after she finished treatments. And we kind of went on to life as normal. And then my husband was diagnosed with cancer. It was three years after Nikki finished treatments. A year into his treatments, Nikki was diagnosed with secondary cancer. And they both passed away in 1994. Carrie died in April and Nikki in August. And how old were they? Carrie was 34 when he was diagnosed and he died when he was 36. And Nikki was seven and nine when she passed away. I had two boys. They were five and seven at the time. And then three years later, Michael was diagnosed with a brain tumor. He went through two years of treatment. He was 10 at the time. And he passed when he was 12 years old. And that was in 1999. It's been 24 years since Michael has passed. That's so much for one person to go through. It was a lot of loss in a very short amount of time. And I really, truly believe that we all go through things. This is going to sound a little bit strange, but after Carrie and Nikki passed, I really wanted to understand why suffering existed at all. And so I started to look at Viktor Frankl's work, Man's Search for Meaning. And I started to look into the reason that we suffer at all. And it's part of the human condition. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to come to. When Carrie and Nikki passed, I was in a place of, I don't understand this. It was devastating. I was hurt. But I also had two young sons, and I needed to raise them, and they are just as important. How was I going to do that with this crushing grief? It could have overtaken me. And there were days when it did, when I would just stay in bed. But I also had this sense of, 
even if I don't understand it, I can accept it. And then when Michael was diagnosed, I went the opposite way. It was, I don't want to understand this. I can't understand this. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. There's nothing except for randomness. Mm -hmm. My life became about, what do I do with this? How do I use this crushing grief? And this is where I really believe that each of us have an individual grief journey, that it is not the same for any one of us. It was not the same for me. I was a different person when Michael passed away than I was when Nikki died and when Carrie died. I was thinking to myself, oh, I got this. I've done this before. And it was nothing like I had ever done before. I remember someone telling me at one time that you're always going to live with sorrow. And I adopted that. And I thought, okay, I have to accept that. Anne Lamott's got a beautiful quote about living with loss. And she said, it's like you have a broken leg and it never quite heals all the way, but you learn how to dance with a limp. Mm -hmm. And I loved that quote. Me too. And I thought, well, is that the best that I can hope for? And I kind of resolved myself to that. I learned the tools that I needed. I learned to take care of myself. I went to grief counseling, but I also felt like something else had happened with all of that. When I allowed myself to really go to those depths of sorrow, I expanded my capacity for joy. And I can find joy in the smallest of things. And yet it's something that I may have taken for granted previously. I totally understand that. And I think it's because I lost my mom at such a young age. I really appreciate the small things and maybe it's because of loss. I think we learn not to take things for granted and be present and being aware of what is valuable and what is important. How old was Matthew when Michael died? He was 10. And have you reasonably worried that he would get sick? Oh, my goodness. Yes. And I remember consciously thinking, I am not going to put those fears on him. I am not going to run him to the doctor every time. I'm not going to feel his arms for tumors. I'm not going to do any of that. But when he was about 16, maybe 15, he had a lump. And so I took him to the doctor's and she said, oh, it's probably nothing. Sometimes, boys, this can happen at this age. But given your family history, let's check it out. And of course, these things always happen over the holidays, right? So everything's delayed. And by the time we got the results that he was okay, I realized how much I was holding on to that fear mm -hmm. and how much it was underlying everything. And we got through Christmas and the week after Christmas, I crashed. And it was because of the weight of that fear that this could happen to him. So, of course, it sent me right back into grief counseling. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. 
And I did that for another year because that fear was real. Yeah. I know that just because bad things happen once, they can happen again. Right. And yet, do you want to live your life in constant fear of that? And so how do you learn to manage that? Those fears are there and they're on a subconscious level too. And when we went through that health scare, it became conscious. So that was a very good thing that that happened. Then it was all out on the table and we were able to deal with it. And that, I think, is a very important piece of grieving. I say that it was reasonable for you. I asked it in that way that it's reasonable for you to worry because I had the irrational fear, I believe, that because my mother died at 46, I was going to die at 46. And actually, her mother died at 46. So it it didn't seem so irrational. It just seemed like that's what was going to happen. So I get that you get something in your head and just assume. And here I am at 55. So that didn't happen. And actually, ironically, I really did live in fear of my 46th birthday from the age of 18. And I met Philip at 46. And really, my life started then rather than ending. Oh, my goodness. I love that. I've often thought, I wonder how Matthew's feeling as he's his 30s, you know, he's 34 and his dad died at 36. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very real thing. I have spoken to many motherless daughters and I know for women, it is a very real thing. I don't know about men, but I know for women, we are worried about that age and then shocked when we surpass it. I want to talk about how we don't know what to say to people who are grieving. For instance, I am embarrassed to say that I've known you for more than a decade, maybe. I've known you a long time. I knew about you that you had lost a child, but I didn't know anything more than that. And I didn't know there was two children and a husband. And so what do we do to make it easier to talk about grief? Do you feel alone in your grief? I want to talk about my mom all the time and nobody else does because it's like I'm almost a victim of being motherless, but I don't feel that way. I just miss her. So talk to me about how we can make this a better subject and make people who are grieving feel less alone. Our society shies away from grief and that is changing. I really believe that we are starting to talk more about these things. I started a webpage called Dear Bereaved Parent, and it's just little love notes that I wrote from one bereaved parent to another. And one of them is about being seen. I see you because others don't see you. They don't understand. And really, do we want them to? Do we want them to really understand the depth of the pain of losing a child? And Sometimes people say things that are very triggering and they can make people feel worse rather than better. And because of that, well-meaning people are afraid to say anything. And I think that we have gone a little bit too far on the other way that when someone comes to you and says they're in a better place or when someone says to you, you can have other children. Those are very hurtful things, but they come from a place of number one, ignorance, because they don't understand 
they don't fully understand what they're saying. I don't think there's maliciousness there. They're trying to comfort you in a way that makes sense in their mind. As a grieving parent, not even just a grieving parent, but anyone who's grieving, you're hurting and you want to lash out and hurt back. So people got a lot of times they got lashed at for saying those kinds of things. Then the opposite happened. People were afraid to say anything. And then it became this, well, here's what you say. You say, I'm sorry for your loss. And so now that's all you hear is I'm sorry for your loss. And that's almost become like this canned phrase. What I believe is if someone says something, anything, all we have to do is thank them. Mm -hmm. Thank them for speaking up. And if you say something and you see that it was wrong, admit it, say it. I really believe that the relationship that we have with the person is key. So if it's a colleague, say it's someone that you don't know very well and they lost a child, you don't know what to say. You just say, I'm very sorry and I don't know what to say. And that's authentic. That's real. And if it's someone that's closer to you, you can offer to be there and sit with them. But I think that we have gotten people so afraid of saying anything that it hurts just as much when they don't say anything at all. I think we have to get back to let's not look to the experts to tell us what to do. Let's go inside and examine the relationship we have with that person and what would we want to hear. Would we want someone to not mention that loss at all? Probably not. Most people want to comfort. They want to help. And you just don't know how. And I think if you can just be honest with that. You asked about that loneliness. Grief is a very solitary journey. Mm -hmm. And yet it's a paradox because we need others to help us through it. So when someone's going through something that you can't understand, understanding that you can't understand is huge. And that is less isolating. It was the second year that was harder than the first because a lot of that support goes away and people have moved on with their lives and you're still in that place. And that can feel really, really lonely. Because nobody understands. Well, that was a year ago. Aren't you over that yet? Or can't you move on yet? Right. I didn't lose a child. And I can tell you now. Any loss is going to take time. There's a lot of things that go into grief. It's not just a loss. It's the whole relationship. What do you mean? If you had a complicated relationship with your spouse and they died, hmm. you're going to be not only dealing with grief, you're going to be dealing with a lot of those complications. Yeah, I see that. If your parents passed away and they were not someone you were particularly close to, you're going to have a lot of those trauma issues that have to be dealt with. Same thing with children. When you lose a child, a lot of your own trauma comes into play. You know, all of these things come to the surface. I think grief lays us bare. Why do you think that some people have to suffer more than others? Oh, isn't that the question of the century? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Eckhart Tolle said, 
people will suffer until they don't want to anymore. I'm paraphrasing. I truly believe that, that it's my choice whether to suffer or not. But then I think of losing my child and then I think it's out of my hands. The grief is out of your hands. The grief is definitely out of your hands because you have to grieve. You have to feel that loss. You have no choice. You're going to feel it. Mm -hmm. But how you think about that, one of the hardest things for me to navigate was the idea that my life was wrong, that I was an unlucky person, that why did these things happen to me, right? And I could have a huge amount of suffering around that. Why me? Why did this happen to me? All of that, everyone looks at me and they think, oh my God, she's so pitiful, so unlucky. And I could create a whole scenario around that. And I did. I mean, there were years where I was trying to figure out why did this happen? And yet, until I could give that up, that was a source of suffering. But I had to work through a lot of things with myself personally in order to give that up and say, this is an impersonal universe. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? And why not me? Why someone else? You know, when the suffering's on the other side of the world or the suffering is across the country, even if it's down the street, that's okay. But when it comes to my doorstep, whoa, wait a minute. Why is this happening to me? And once we begin to understand that my door isn't any different than the one across the world, my door isn't any different than the one down the street. And so there's an impersonal part of that that can alleviate the suffering piece. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be sad. It doesn't mean I'm not going to grieve. It doesn't mean there are times when, gosh, I wish it could be otherwise. Sometimes we don't know we have that choice. That's the first piece of awareness is going, wait a minute, is there a different way for me to be able to look at this and entertain that thought? And I'm not talking about those first weeks, months. Those are so intense. But time really does play a role in grief. Time does not heal all wounds alone. But time is necessary for us to be able to heal our wounds. And so I think we can utilize time and we can delay it as long as we want. I know a mom whose child died 25 years ago, and she's still in the same place that she was at that time. And that happens. It's very difficult. And maybe she'll move through it. And maybe she won't. But understanding that she does have a choice there. And at some point, we have to understand that although we don't have power in everything, we have a lot of power in ourselves in the way we decide to view life. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I lost my mother my first semester of college and people were saying she's in a better place and I can't believe I haven't punched somebody in the face yet. Right. We're saying that because I don't care. I miss my mother. 
And I remember one girl complaining about a cold. Your cold will be fine. And my mother is gone forever. So I understand also the fear of saying something because that is always my trepidation whenever these kind of conversations come up. We want to hear the name of our loved ones. We want our stories told. We want our moms to be acknowledged. We want our dads to be acknowledged. We want our siblings or our children to be acknowledged. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people say, well, when I mention the the name, then they start crying. Then I feel like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. And I always say, don't be afraid to ask the question. Do you want to talk about that right now? I've been thinking about you. And there are some situations where people will say, no, not right now. You know, call me later. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a firm believer in peer-to-peer support groups. People who have lost their spouse, people who have lost children, people who have lost their parents. If you can get together with others who have had a similar type of loss and understand that they're all going to still be unique in their own way. But one of the things that typically comes up, especially in the bereaved parents group, is that it may have been five years. And if they mention their child's name, silence will descend upon the room, right? Especially the holidays. They're really, really tough. And it's like, it's okay to mention their names. It's actually welcomed and wanted. And we don't want to forget them. And we want to know that other people haven't forgotten them. Mm -hmm. One of the things too, is just to tell a little story. Again, it goes back to the relationship that you had. I mean, what a gift if one of your mom's friends would tell you a story about something they did, you know, that was just crazy and just typical of your mom. Actually, at my oldest brother's funeral, my mom's best friend was there and she was telling stories about my mom and nothing was better than that. Right. It was such a beautiful thing to hear stories about my mother. And it's so validating for her life that she was here and other people besides me remember them. And loved her. Yeah. So my son was in middle school and you know how middle schoolers are, you know, they're all about drama and poems and all kinds of fun things. And Michael used to make jewelry and I never knew this. So he used to make all this jewelry and I gave them out to like different friends and stuff and at his service. And this was probably maybe three or four years ago. And one of his friends said, I put that on my Christmas tree every year. And I was like, oh, do you realize what a gift it was for you to tell me that? I had no idea. Beautiful. But to know that someone else is out there and they're remembering that person, right? Yes. The person that we love, that they love them too. When my mom passed away, all of her stuff was divvied out, but she had made a painting of me and that was given to me. It was kind of really the only thing I got, but it was the only thing I cared about. But when I got divorced, I moved in with my sister, with my two children. And as a gift, I gave her that painting and I never regretted it. But a few years later, when I got back on my feet and I moved into this house, actually, she gifted it back to me. Oh, and it was truly the most beautiful gift I've ever received, even though I had given it away. There's just something about loving your loved one and then 
other people understanding the depth of it. And that's it right there. It's there's depth. And if we can approach people who are grieving, and even if someone says something that we may not necessarily agree with, especially depending on your religion or, and if someone is talking about, oh, they're in heaven, they're out of pain, all of those kind of things. And I try to remember that for them, that's comforting. Yeah. That's what's comforting them as a grieving parent. And I'm not the only one that would tell you this. We find ourselves having to comfort those around us rather than the other way around. It can be hard. Like you're saying, if somebody's saying they're in a better place, it's because they truly believe it. And it's not about you at all. They're not trying to hurt you. So I'm going to not punch somebody in the face, but I'm still going to be secretly annoyed. It's so interesting because sometimes maybe punching somebody in the face is just what's <laughs> called for because they just won't listen. Oh, I'm going to say Marianne said I could. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. No, no. When someone says something like that, and if you are in that place where you can say, you know, that's really not helpful because blah, 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 whatever. But on the other hand, there are days where you're just too much in the thick of it and you can't and you don't want to do that. And it's not your responsibility all the time. And there are days when you just let those things roll off. And there are days when maybe you do lash out, you know, and maybe you do say something, you know, we're all human and we're all going to make mistakes. And especially when you're grieving and you're hurting so bad and you want the rest of the world to hurt and they don't, that can be really hard. That is the main memory I have of when my mother passed away, that I went out to the porch and I was pissed off at all the neighborhood noises that life was just going on. And how dare they? That's the main memory I have. Yeah, I remember sitting in my daughter's hospital room. Her and her dad had this relationship and they kind of walked each other through cancer treatments and walked each other out of the world and all of these magical, magical things that happened around that. But I remember the night she died and I was standing in her hospital room and I was looking out the window and there were cars going down the street. And I remember having the thought, how can those cars be going down the street? <laughs> What's going on? Wait, my world's just stopped. Why hasn't the world outside of me stopped? It can be isolating and lonely. And yet we have to remember that we're not the only ones that have ever experienced this. This is what it means to be human. We're all going to die someday. Mm -hmm. All of us. And as much as we try to forget that, it's still going to happen. I like to think about it, that it's the natural cycle of life. I want to think about it. I want to appreciate the moments I'm alive, which is this moment and maybe not the next. Right. I'm not afraid of it, but I'm aware of it. And I think that's really great because I have gratitude. And you embrace living mm -hmm. because you know that there is an expiration date here. For everybody. For everyone, right? But people don't live that way. No, we live like we're going to live forever. Yeah. When I was 22, boy, that's what I thought. <laughs> When someone that you love is grieving, 
it's key to remember that they are bleeding on the inside and you may not be able to see it. And acknowledging that they may be tender, it will go a long way versus trying to find the right words. Just that acknowledgement that I see you may be hurting and I just want you to know I'm there for you. I can't think of anything more beautiful to say to someone who's grieving. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate this conversation. And you mentioned that you have to comfort people. Well, I do feel choked up and feel like crying. And is it okay to share tears without you having to console me? But I have emotions about this. I have emotions about your life and everything that's happened to you. So is it better to choke back the tears or can you see my tears without having to comfort me? Absolutely, I can. My kids went through cancer treatments, right? And I remember talking with a mom and we were talking about the nurses that would come into the room when our child's passed and they would cry or they wouldn't. And we both had complete opposite viewpoints on that. And it was, well, if they cry and they're in a professional setting, then I feel like I have to comfort them. But if they cry and we're in a professional setting, I know that they're human. I know they care. I know that they're not just performing a job. We're all different and we all have different needs. And if someone cries when I'm talking with them about my story, oh, good Lord, I'm so glad that people can be authentic. It's been 23 years, 24 years. So I'm in a completely different place than someone who's been three years or Mm -hmm. even five years. So I can say for myself that tears, oh my gosh, they are the lifeblood. I have no problem with tears from myself or from anyone else. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Beneath Your Beautiful, hosted by Hara Allison. And thank you for your ratings and reviews. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Stay tuned.